Well, good morning, Grace. I'm so glad you could join us today, and I mean us. Uh, We have about 100 maybe or more people in the auditorium today because we're getting ready for a great day. We're going to regather on September 13th. In just a couple of weeks, we're going to try to gather together as a church. I want you to know we've been working on this, well, for months. Let me tell you what we've done. We've completely renewed and, and upgraded our sound system so it would be more effective online. Also, we have new cameras and two additional cameras for that as well so that we can ensure that uh, what's being broadcast live on Sunday morning can be consistent and great quality. Also, we've been uh, upgrading our internet feed for that purpose. And then recently, we started asking people to come to help us learn and train our volunteers to ensure that there would be physical safety here. And this week, we added a bipolar ionized air filtration system, right? Those are a lot of big words. It's got to be good. Uh, This is a commercial grade, actually hospital grade air filtration system that enhances what we already do here in the worship center so that all the air will be as clean as we can possibly make it. So the idea is on September 13th, we're going to ask everybody to come. Here's what you need to do. You're going to need to wear a mask. Mask will be required uh, at that time. You will need to register online. You'll go to the website and then register to do that. And then there's no childcare. It'll be family church. And if you have little kids that might be problematic, maybe, I don't think we won't even have a family room to take them to. So we might be maybe reconsidering that. Next great announcement I want to tell you about is next week we're going to do the walk through the Bible, New Testament. We started this year with a walk through the Old Testament. We're going to, we're going to start, our, we're into the New Testament now. We were planning on having a huge celebration uh, next week. Eh, well, whatever. So here's what we've ch- chosen to do. We're going to break up the walk through New Testament into two different sections. Next week, I'll be teaching for about 40 minutes through the first half or so of the New Testament. And then I think October 18th, we'll, doing part, we'll do part two. So next week, if you come here, be ready to do some a little aerobics. If, uh, if you're at home, then, you know, you want to dress especially comfortable. Like, you're not already doing that. Um, anyway, so... Next week, walk through the Bible. Uh, Go to the website this week sometime. We'll be having some of those handouts in a PDF format so that you can download those and and use those as we go through that. Also, we're doing all of this because this year we've been going through the Bible. 2020, there's a couple things that have been great in the year 2020. Chevy Corvette came out with a new model, and we've been going through the Bible as a church. And if you wanted to catch up with us and you're just joining us right now, then you can start reading through the Bible, starting in the book of Matthew. Read two chapters a week or two chapters a day, and we're probably going to end at about the same time. The rest of us have been reading through the Bible. We'll be in Matthew chapter 1, I think, of the first day of October. So we'll catch up eventually, and we'd love you to join us. Start reading the book of Matthew with us. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 3 today. And then the other thing we're doing to help us understand the New Newer Testament is, if you'd like, watch the TV series called The Chosen. I, listen, I, I, I watch Jesus movies for kind of a living, and I got to tell you, I hate it. There's some really bad Jesus movies out there. Oh, but this one is good. Let me tell you, there's a couple things I love about this. One, uh, sometimes the accents are a little thick, and so we do it with subtitles. They, they capitalize the pronoun. Whenever you're talking about Jesus, they're saying a capital Y for you and H for him. I love that. They res- even, in his, even in their um, closed captions, they're respecting him. And the other thing I love about it, it's filmed in Texas. So, you know, that's what God would do if he wanted to film Jesus. So it's a biblical thing. Let me start with a word of prayer, and then we have a great uh, teaching time. 
uh, in, in a marvelous passage. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we lift up this time to you. I'd ask that your spirit, the spirit inside of us, would help, would you, that would understand the fullness of, of what happened on this day. How all of creation stood still to gaze at this. And then, and then what that means to us and how it could change our lives. Lord, we come to you with humble hearts, I hope, that you would enter and feel at home and guide and direct, direct us in a, in a rather difficult time that we're experiencing. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Again, I'm glad you tuned in today because today we're gonna look at one of the top 20 events in all of human history. This picture, the, these paintings here express what we're gonna be looking at in Matthew chapter three. If you want, you can turn in your Bibles there. This is the baptism of Jesus. And this is one of those events, there's only a few where both angels and demons alike popped and stood at attention to watch what was happening here. Some stood and marveled and some stood and trembled. This is an event like very few other events. Jesus is on a mission like no other man because he is like no other man. Jesus was a man of destiny. And his destiny was not cut short by death. As a matter of fact, his destiny was death. He came here to face death. He came here to destroy death. His life was, <laughs> he didn't have a tragic ending with his death. That's, that's why he came, to conquer it. And he rose again just to brag, just to show off, just to prove that he had defeated death. And the story of his death and resurrection, for the most part, starts with this picture, with this painting, with this event, the baptism of Jesus Christ. It's worth a thousand words, a picture is. This picture, this painting is worth 4,000 words. It's in all four gospels. All of the, the biography accounts of the life of Jesus include this event because it is so very important. It defines the triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It defines how we are to live and act according to the nature of God. And here's the point of it, that Jesus is like no other man. He is different in kind, not in degree. He's not a better man. He's a different kind of man. And God, in, when it comes to things that are valuable, important, and have great weight, he is reckless, friends. He, he is generous with evidence to make his points known. This is a story where he wants us to know for sure who Jesus is, why he came, and how we can live according to that. If you have your Bibles, turn into Matthew chapter 3. This is where the story takes place that I'm going to be looking at anyway. And John's baptism has two purposes. John's baptism has two purposes. It serves as a great outline. The first is to prepare Israel for her Messiah. And the second is to prepare the Messiah for Israel. To prepare Israel for her Messiah and to prepare Messiah for, for Israel. This, this is the story of a Jewish writer writing a Jewish audience about a Jewish king. And Matthew writes the story, and when you look at the story itself, it starts with, let me introduce the introducer, John the Baptist. Even when that story starts, his conception and birth is a Jewish story. It starts like all other Jewish stories where God invades his creation and says, I'm going to do something special. You need to listen. 
watch and respond. John's conception story starts as an older woman past the childbearing age that's been barren her whole life has a prayer answered. She's given a gift, a son, John the Baptist. And those people knowing the story around John's mother were like, okay, God's here. We got to watch this boy to become a man. We need to listen to his words. And John serves as the last Old Testament prophet. And he preaches with fire and brimstone. And he's telling people we need to get ready. And here's why he preaches with fire and brimstone. Because they're out of time. He's coming eminently anytime soon. Here's his, here's his preaching style. In verse 1 through 3, he says, In the days John the Baptist came, preaching in the desert of Judea and saying, Repent, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken through the prophets. John is like what Isaiah was saying, a voice of the one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make your path straight for him. And the people responded. They came in, in by the thousands to hear John preach that the, the coming of the Lord was near. Verse 5 and 6 says, people came out to him from Jerusalem and in all of Judea and the whole region in the Jordan area, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. John's saying, listen, all the promises that you've been hearing about, all the way back to Adam and to Abraham and, and to Moses and to David, they're coming true. The promised one is being delivered to us. Are you ready to meet God? Are you ready to meet God? You better prepare yourself. John's past message to us, to them, and to us is repent, repent. <laughs> and repent doesn't mean just like feeling sorry, right? Having regret or remorse. In the Bible, repentance means, it means changing your mind about something, the way you think about that. Uh, it, it, in the context of the Bible, it, it is particularly in the New Testament, it's talking about changing your mind about God changing the way you think about God. And that change of mind must produce a change in conduct because you've changed your whole values about something, particularly the nature of God. If there's no change in conduct, you have to go back and say, well, maybe I didn't completely change my mind. You have to go into, you have to like study yourself. What motivates you to do something right or to do something wrong? And, and go back. Another way of Another way of saying repent, we would say, you need to clean up. You need to come clean. You need to be honest. Would you just tell the truth, the whole truth? Not just what you do, but why you do it. Think about what motivates you. Repent of that. That will change your mind about the nature of God. And in this, this story here, you know, John the Baptist is saying, repent. This isn't what you need to change your mind about that Jesus is king, and the king rules. And so I will, it's, when you repent and, and choose Jesus to be king, you say, I will do whatever he says. I will obey. That's what we do with the king. We, we obey our king. And so it doesn't matter if what he says for me to do, I understand completely. Doesn't matter. I will, I will obey him if I don't like it. I will obey him if it costs me. I will obey him if it makes me look foolish in front of people I want to respect me. Because I've changed my mind, he's my king. 
My ego is not my king. My safety is not my king. Jesus is my king. That's what John is asking us to do, repent. And why? Because John says the Messiah is coming. Messiah is coming. He is the only safe place in a storm that's about to take place. The day of the Lord, the day of judgment is coming. Look what John says. Look, I, I baptize you with water uh, for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to even carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His, his winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor gathering his wheat into the barn and burning up the chaff with an unquenchable fire. Jesus is coming, he says, and he's bringing justice and he's bringing power. Jesus is coming and he's bringing justice. John's saying here that Jesus is coming to judge the wicked and reward the righteous. He says he's got this winning fork, like a pitchfork, and he's going he's gonna to find out who has value and who is just the husks. And the husk will be burned off. And the, the, Jesus fulfills this a little bit in his first coming, but certainly in his final coming, there is final justice. And John says, you need to live your life like you're going to meet him. There's a consequence for all of your choices. He, he, later on, he'll say, we won't look at that verse, but some people are like, yeah, we're from, we're from the tree of Abraham. And John says, it doesn't matter what tree you're from. It doesn't, it, he doesn't care. He brought his chainsaw too. He's going to cut those things down to the root. It doesn't matter if you go to church or not. I mean, it does matter, but it, 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 like why? It doesn't matter your family of origin. What matters is, do you repent? Is he your king? John says, listen, he's coming. He's got a pitchfork in one hand. He's got a chainsaw in another, and he's coming. And he's bringing justice. John says he's coming to bring power. He's coming to bring power. He says, he will baptize you in the Holy Spirit. Now, in the Old Testament, the way the Holy Spirit worked, people's souls weren't purified by the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so the Spirit would come upon a person for a purpose and then would leave that person. And they, they dreamt of the day that the Holy Spirit, one of the persons of the Trinity, come and live and seal himself in our souls. And John says, that's going to happen. Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. These are promises in the Older Testament that this would happen. Look what it says in Isaiah. And, and I will pour out my spirit and my blessings on your children. There it is. And Ezekiel, he says something similar. Another prophet says, I will put my spirit in you so you will obey my laws and do whatever I command. The spirit of God God himself living in our souls so that we can obey him. The king is coming, and he's going to judge, and he's going to give us power. So the application ought to be pretty obvious <laughs> for us, right? Repent and be filled with his spirit. Repent and be filled. That's the application John has for us. That's the first part of the, of the outline, preparing Israel for her Messiah, you and I. That's us. Is there anything more dangerous? Can you imagine anything more dangerous than us appearing, you, me, okay, individually appearing before God and him saying, I, I, and you, you, we, we say, oh, I did all these things and I went, I went to mass and I did this confession thing and I, I served and all this. And he just says, I, I never knew you. That's a story in the life of Jesus. He says, look, I'm gonna, uh, people are going to meet me for the first time. They think they've been, they're mine. 
and they've been serving me, and I'm going to say, I've never met you. I can't imagine anything more terrible because it's after death comes judgment. <laughs> and so John says to us, hey, look, come clean. There's, there's no bluffing with God. There's only honesty. You can't lie, hide your lion eyes. That's what the eagles would tell us. You know, you, you know what's right. And you know what a righteous God expects. Honestly, I don't think there's a question about like the right and wrong part of this. It's whether or not you actually think in your life that you can get away with it. And John's saying that the light will be too bright. Everything will be revealed. And so the appeal here is come clean. Tell the truth. Like the whole truth. Maybe even do an inventory. Of, of, of what you do and then why you do it. Uh, why, why, do you, why, do you, why do you brag or, or lie or steal or cheat? Why do we do this? Do we, do we, we confess those things, but, but why? Do we do, we do, do we do it because we could get ahead so we can look better in front of other people? So maybe just for the lust of revenge? Those are, those are what... Those are descriptions of what repentance looks like. If you need help on inventory, Celebrate Recovery is a tremendous ministry for that. You can just go there and say, look, I, I, you know, I don't think I have any addictions to chemical stuff, but I've got addictions to stuff, and I need to, help, I need to learn how to repent. Celebrate Recovery can help you do that. We'd love you to join us. Look online how you can be part of that. Whether you join or not, John's saying you've got to repent You've got to come clean, tell the truth, the whole truth. The second application John has for us is like, be filled. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is available to us. How do we get that? Glad you asked. Look what, you, look what Jesus says in one of his sermons. Look, if, if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit to those, what? Who ask him. How do you receive the Holy Spirit? You ask him. <laughs> you just ask. You say, Lord, I, the Holy Spirit gives you the power to obey. It gives you the power to, to, the power to want to be who you ought to be that you don't necessarily want to be. You know, I ultimately want to be this. I just, ah. And the, the Holy Spirit does that. The Holy Spirit, you, you ask the Father, you say, Lord, fill me with the Spirit. Lord, I surrender my life. I want to live your way, not my way. I want to do whatever you want to do, but I'm a coward. I need the courage. I, 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 don't, have the, I don't have the willpower. Give me that willpower. How to receive the Spirit? You ask for it. Jesus came, died, and rose again to bring his presence into our everyday lives into our very souls. The baptism of Jesus is showing us that. So, repent and be filled. Prepare your heart for Messiah. The second part, second reason, the second you know, thing we're to take away from the story of the baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist is it's preparing the Messiah for Israel. It's the Messiah's arrival. John, John never knew when Messiah would come. He didn't know 
the exact day. And so every day he would wake up, he'd go down to the Jordan River and he'd have these revivals. He'd preach repentance. He'd tell people to, to, you know, to make sure their, their ways were right. He didn't know if it'd be next week, next month, maybe next year. And then, and then, I love what Philip Keller says about this. Here's Philip Keller's description of what happened on that day. When the day came for Jesus to gently close the door to his carpenter shop for the very last time, he knew exactly where he would go. And with firm footsteps and quiet determination, he set off directly to see John. Following the windy roads of the hill country from Nazareth, he headed down in the burning heat to the Jordan Valley where John was baptizing in a running river. Jesus works his way through that crowd of thousands, takes off his sandals, goes into that murky water and stares at his cousin, John. Hey, John, <laughs> it's time, it's time. I love this because look, John doesn't know what to do. Look at verse 14, it says, but John tried to deter him saying, I need to, I need to be baptized by you <laughs> and, and you come to me to be baptized? I love this. And I'm sure the crowds of thousands are looking at John and for the first time they see him stutter. Like here's, here's a man that is, is, is perplexed now. He, he's a little bit frightened. John, John the Baptist, never fought within his weight class. He was way outweighed, but he, he, like he went toe to toe with the religious leaders and just called them out for what was true. And then he stared down Herod the Terrible himself. And th th this man that like with known for his sharp tongue and his clever wit, <laughs> can't find the words. He can't find the words because he's in the presence with Jesus. And he's Jesus like, don't, I can't baptize you. You baptize me. And Jesus responds, look, let it be so now. It's, it's proper for us to do this in fulfillment of all righteousness. And so John consented. Why was Jesus baptized? This, this is a baptism for repentance. Jesus doesn't need to repent. Jesus is a righteous man. He's a righteous Jew. Jesus is literally in Old Testament, the lawgiver. And as this man, he will submit to those laws that he gave. Jesus is leading by example. He says to people, follow me. And when he says, follow me, I'm going to take you where you need to go. Jesus needs this baptism like, like he needed a rest after six days of creation. Sabbath was built and enjoyed by God so that we would enjoy that Sabbath. The baptism itself Jesus is baptized and he comes up and that's when it all happens. That's when angels and demons pop to attention. Some marvel, some tremble. This is what happened, verse 16. And as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven opened up and they saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and then resting upon him. Dove is the Holy Spirit. It comes and rests upon Jesus. Hey, there's more because the voice of God comes involved, the Father. And then the voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Seldom does the Father speak audibly in the Bible. It has to be a magnificent event. And that is 
this event. It is of extreme, supreme importance. We have in these descriptions and the, the pictures of this event, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. The purpose of this unusual and magnificent event, what is that? I, I've heard people say, oh, this is when the father sends to his son that's longing for approval a pat on the head. There you go. Now go out there. Oh, that might be true if there weren't the Bible uh, to tell us otherwise. Uh, that's, that's encouraging, I guess. But that's not what's happening here. This... This is a regal installment. This is a king being crowned. This is Jesus being, being realized as the sovereign king, the servant savior. This event is a, a, a demarcation of what was true in his private life now begins to be true in his public life. This is, let me read, this is the divine annunciation by the Father. It is witnessed by the Spirit and validated by the Holy Spirit. It is witnessed by John the Baptist, the last Old Testament prophet, representing 2,000 years of prophets saying, yes, this happened on this day. This is the one. This is the promised one. This is Messiah. This event, it is a coronation event. A king receives his crown in front of all creation. That's what this event is. A king getting what all of creation already knew, or the spirit world anyway. He gets that authority. The application of this section has to do with the doctrine of Jesus Christ. What do we believe to be true about Jesus the Christ? We often put him in, in the category, and we try to flatter, right, people outside of the church or even liberals inside the church try to flatter Jesus. He's the greatest teacher of all time. Yeah, okay, that's true. That's not what this passage is showing us. He, he's not to be compared to other good teachers, Socrates or Buddha or Confucius or whoever. He, he's a different kind of person not a different degree of person. If you had a comparative religion class and you dedicated an entire building to comparative religions, that would be awesome. And you could study those. But when you talk about Jesus, you're going to have to go down the street in that cathedral because he's a different kind of man, not a different degree. He stands apart, and this event says so. The practical application for this is for you and me. Is to, is, is, I love what it, it is the certainty. This passage gives us the certainty of who Jesus is. There's no ambiguity here. I mean, this is like a summary of, of all of creation saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, <laughs> for the billion people that have followed Jesus the Christ, you should know for sure he was the one. You can't make, you can't, make the, the, the last Old Testament prophet, that's him. The Holy Spirit, Jesus, pick Jesus. The Father, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. Later, Jesus will say, he will say, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And you know why he said that? Because he could. <laughs> because he's, he is the way. And so the, here's the point. When you have faith in Jesus, the faith needs to be, like, strong. 
It needs to be sure. It needs to be certain. There should be security in our lives. Okay, here's the emotion. Rest. Just rest. You didn't choose recklessly or poorly or, or even hopefully not even emotionally. Oh, I, I just, I hope it's him. He's so nice. Who cares? It's true. You're not... It, Faith, faith is gambling, okay? Faith is gambling. Faith is betting. Faith is like, oh, you know, you're, you're placing something of value down, whether it's a token or, or, or money or I'm going to bet my farm on this, okay? And religious faith is like I'm betting my soul on this. But listen, like in, in, the, in the, the, let's call it epistemology. Well, didn't mean to say that. We, we, in the way we know things, okay, how do, how do we know something for sure? We all live by faith, we're all living by faith and faith is gambling. We're all gambling all the time, okay? Like you, so like right now, we're all gambling in the context of, uh, this happens regularly now. You, you, you have faith in your doctor. You go to, uh, to that doctor, him or her, and, and, and he or she tells you to do something and you believe them. And we put them in white robes to kind of like, oh yeah, they're like, they're, have put faith in them. Go take this pill. And so you, you go, you say, I'm going to do that because I have faith in that person. You're gambling, okay? Your health and maybe even your life. Then you go to the pharmacy. Oh, look, they have white robes too. Good, okay. You know, that's, there's a costume for a reason. And, and you go, okay, this is the pill the doctor said to take. You're gambling, you're gambling your health. You're gambling your very life. And right now, it's kind of, it, people are kind of scared now because medicine isn't showing itself to be all that consistent sometimes. I trust my doctor in, should I wear a mask, not wear a mask? Should I, yeah, I, yeah, we have these conflicting <laughs> views, and that's why people are a little rattled. They put maybe too much faith, too much gamble in medicine. There's an appropriate amount. Yes, absolutely. But, you know, that just showed what was always true. We don't know that much sometimes. God wants us to have a reasonable faith. He wants us to have a reasonable gamble. He wants us to use our minds. You know, we, 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 um, like if you, if you were to, uh, people gamble with their money. Everybody gambles. If you invested, if you're not, you can go to Vegas, that's gambling. Some of it's reasonable gambling if you're good at it, but also just investing. I'm gonna invest in this stock. Why? I think the logo's really pretty and it, it, it makes, it looks good on me sometimes. Oh, okay, that's, that's unreasonable gambling. That's unreasonable faith. Here's what I'm, what I'm trying to show here. Here's a metaphor, okay? Here's a picture. Some of you are going to be really mad at me uh, for this. Uh, write Ray Anderson, and he'll respond to your emails. If God, if God had a casino, there, now you're already mad. If God had a casino, and he had a roulette table, this is what it would look like, okay? Roulette. I've seen this on TV. Let me try to explain it to you for those of you who don't know. Roulette is uh, one of these things where it's a, a game of chance and they're going to put a marble in a spinning wheel and spin it around and you place your bet on a table with, on, on numbers uh, 1 through 36. And the numbers alternate between red and black, red and black, red and black. And you can pick a number or a set of numbers, you can just bet on black or you can just bet on red and, and, and those are the odds reflect you know, your return on those bets. One through 36, okay? And then there's this one other number. Is it a number? It's zero. And zero is green. And the odds of getting green zero are really low. Don't bet on zero. It's actually in the gambling community, so I'm told, it's unlucky to bet on zero on green. Don't do that. 
And so what happens is they, the people ask you to put your money down. This is what you're betting. And then they say, all bets down, hands off the table. And they put the marble in the roulette spinner and they let the marble go and it bounces around and wherever it lands, people get a return on their investment, on their gambling, on their choice. Okay, that's how life works. In the context of worldviews, people like hedge their bet. I'm gonna bet on, you know, something like black, something like half of it's like the odds are good. I'm gonna bet on science, like, yeah, we can know things for sure in science. Mm, we're finding out maybe not so much, but it's still not a bad bet. I'm gonna bet religiously, philosophically on all gods are the same. Well, okay, you can do that, bet on red, maybe. I don't know, let's see, roll the dice, all bets down, hands off the table. At Yahweh's roulette table, it's a little bit different. At Yahweh's roulette table, we're all standing around and we're not betting money, we're not betting the farm, we're not betting things of consequence that are temporal, we're betting our souls, our souls, our eternal souls. Life here and life everlasting. And so we put, before I put our souls down on that roulette uh, uh, felt, some guy walks up to us and he's kind of shabby. You know, he looks like he could use a little upgrade in clothing. Looks like he hadn't, you know, changed clothes in a while. He's the maintenance guy. The maintenance guy comes up to you and says, hey, I'm, I'm John Baptiste. And uh, I've been working here for a long time. And uh, I got to let you know something. I know something from upstairs. The table's rigged. It's going to land on zero. Bet on green. I know this. I come from 2,000 years of maintenance guys. We've been working this casino for a long, long time. And I know, I heard them talking upstairs. They've magnetized the zero. They've got a metal ball bearing. It's going to come and it's going to land on zero, bet on zero. And you're thinking, you know what? Maybe I should listen to this guy. But boy, his breath is bad. And then all of a sudden, the place starts to rumble. And the and the roof opens up, and there's this terrible cloud storm breaking loose up in the sky. But then, out of nowhere, the clouds part, okay? And then, and the blue sky's breaking through, and the sun you can't see. And out of that sun comes this dove, and he flies down, and he sits on the table, and he lands on green. And he just starts pecking on the green, the zero. Like the dove is telling you, bet on zero, bet on zero. And you're thinking, maybe I should bet on zero. I don't know. Got this John guy, got this dove out of nowhere. And then someone clears their throat and says, oh, this is the management. Okay, there's management speaking. I want everybody's attention. If you're like gambling right now, if you're at the roulette table, hi, it's me. I own the place. I built the place. And I rigged the table. This is what I'm going to do. We're going to spin that ball, but it's going to land on green. It's going to be zero. Here's the thing, I love zero. Zero, I'm well pleased with. My favorite color's green. Bet your soul. All bets down, hands off the table. Click, click, click. Green, zero. Who put their soul there? The game's rigged. I mean, what this says about God, I love. Because if nothing, it's clear communications. <laughs> all the different angles, all saying the same thing. But here's what I love about it. God does not want us to be reckless with our faith. He doesn't want us to gamble. 
without knowing how it ends. Look at, the, look at this picture, friends. Look at these paintings. How is it that we can know God? It is clear. The way of God is clear. Jesus, what is it? look what it says about, about the nature of God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It, it, it says the Father in his generosity sends his Son for God to love the world. He gave his Son. It, it says the Spirit is empowering, well, in empowering the, the Son. It, it is the crown on his thread, on his head. Jesus is coming to serve all of mankind in his obedience to the Father. All of that's happening right there. It's teaching us about the Godhead and his love for us and the, and the way he wants us to learn to live with certain and clear faith. And then look at John the Baptist is there. This, that's a picture of our life because this is the high point in, G, in John's life, okay? It won't get, it doesn't get any better than this, but here's what's important about John's life. After this event, John says, he must increase and I must decrease. That's you and me. When we meet Jesus, there's something inside of our souls that's supposed to go, oh, I get it. I'm supposed to become more like Christ in all of life. He must increase in my soul and my ego must decrease. What a beautiful picture. It's a picture of the true fullness of life. So, grace, repent and be filled, the Messiah, the one that has received testimony from the Father, the Spirit, and all the Old Testament prophets. He's the one. Jesus says he was. He was. From this, Jesus will go and take the place of the second Adam that he was. And where Adam failed in a garden, Jesus will succeed in the barren wasteland in the desert. And he will show the last variable, Satan. He will show Satan that he's the one. Let's close in a word of prayer with these new revelations in mind. Lord Jesus, we, uh, you know, I don't, it's very easy for us to know this story, Lord, and just think, oh, yeah, baptized by John. I remember that. And now we understand maybe a little bit more about you loved us so much that you didn't just send your own son that we might have him deliver us from our sins, but also you sent him in a way and declared so that we could live faithfully and certainly and securely that we put our faith, our soul on him. And so God, give us the courage to live courageously. Give us the insight to live thoughtfully. Give us like the soul of the spirit to live sacrificially. You gave us your son so that the spirit would leave us and never leave us. We, we celebrate that in a new way today. We're grateful for that. Lord, I'd ask that if there are men and women uh, in the sound of my voice that need to take an inventory and repent, tell the truth, the whole truth, that they would do that before you and maybe another person or two, that they might receive the fullness of what you have for their life. God, we are grateful that we can look back on this event and maybe receive some of the fulfillment of why it took place, that we would live confidently, courageously, certainly about who we are and what you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Good story. Boy, Matthew chapter 3, read it again. I know this week has been an exceptionally difficult week for so many people. I, I, I don't know where to start. I mean, there's a lot of moms that really got almost punished this week, uh, just making this transition to what might be school. And think of the school teachers. I bet it was no picnic for them either. And the whole, all the way up the chain, the church or the school administration, people trying to get work done while whatever this thing, school is taking place. I, I just want to acknowledge, I just want to acknowledge it was, it's been a very difficult and exceptionally difficult week for a lot of people. And some of you are afraid of tomorrow <laughs> or just whether or not you've, you're, you're just weary. And I want to just open up in some respects today's lesson, repent maybe about ways you've been adapting or maladapting to the new stress and then be filled. Ask God's spirit to come and have you do what maybe you couldn't do otherwise. And then this last application, could you call someone? Maybe the church, but call someone that you can talk with. I met with someone this week and I realized in the middle of the conversation, I just enjoyed being with this uh, man so much that I thought, and I said it out loud to him, I said, I'm gonna make for a new spiritual discipline meeting with people. It's been really easy not to eat, meet with people and it's hurting my soul. And then, and then just like a lot of spiritual disciplines, I don't wanna read my Bible, I read my Bible. I love reading my Bible. I don't wanna pray, I pray. I love praying. Like, I don't wanna meet with people, I meet with people. I love meeting with people. I'm gonna do that. I'm encourage you to do the same thing. Make a spiritual discipline to meet with someone two or three times a week. It'll be good for your soul. Till then, we'll see you next week. We'll do the walk through the Bible, New Testament, part one.